Hello and welcome to Just a Guy and his journey back to God. So today we're in Revelation 7, but before we go there, let's go to God in prayer. Father, I thank you for this time and I just come before you humbly asking for your guidance. Lord, this is your word and it's got so many meanings, so many elements to it that I can't presume to know them. So, Father, I just pray as we read, as we go through it, you would open our hearts, you would open our minds, and you'd open up our spirits to understand what you want us to take out of it. Because at the end of the day, Lord, it doesn't matter what I say. It only matters what you say and what you want. So, Father, I pray as we read that our hearts would be prepared, our minds would be prepared, and our spirits would be receptive to what you want us to know. I pray for your wisdom and your understanding as we read. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, this chapter is pretty important. Every chapter is important, otherwise it wouldn't be in the Bible. But it gets into some of the discussions around who's saved, pre-trib, post-trib. And none of it's answered, really. But it really talks about, and I have some commentary from a sermon that Charles Spurgeon put together. And what it showed was that it's a good thing John was a patient man. I mean, obviously God chose the right person to show this to. But John was a mature Christian. John was a patient man. And as he's seeing this vision, he doesn't just say, oh my goodness, that's awesome, and then turn his head away when he sees something that he likes. He keeps looking. And I know for myself, as I I put somewhat in the commentary, I want something, and, and I want it now, and in my immaturity, if I receive it, then I, often my attention is totally turned. Oh, now I have this new shiny thing, and now I'm going to focus on it instead of whatever I had been doing. And that can actually be addressed. You know, a perfect example is just about 15 minutes ago. I'm, I'm working. I, I'm fortunate I work from home. And I was preparing for this because I have a large gap in between my calls and my meetings. And so I was preparing for this and I was reading and someone sends me an email and instead of just putting it aside until I'm done, my attention has changed and moved and I'm trying to go back and forth with this person. Just, you know, trying to be, you know, polite and just say, look, I need some help on this. Um, but then they, then they make a comment that isn't, flattering. In fact, it was kind of rude. And so I sat there and I got pretty pissed off and responded immediately back because I didn't wait. And I did take everyone else off the email. So it was just to him, but that then blew out my whole mind. And it's been 30 plus minutes, 45 minutes since it occurred. I had to go outside, walk around all that great stuff. Now, if I was, had been mature, my, my computer would have been off and the volume off and my phone also, but I wanted to, I I wanted to have that going just in case something important. But then again, what's more important than reading God's word and preparing my day 
to be able to serve him. Anyways, long story short, my attention is blown because I had to respond immediately because I wanted to. And I couldn't just relax and wait and know that I'm doing something more important. And the same thing is here with John. He, he's showing the maturity that I don't have. He's showing the maturity to watch the entire situation. He could have, after he saw that the 144,000 Jews, he could have been like, yes, the Jews are in the house. And he could have turned away, he could have celebrated, he could have lost focus, but instead he continued to watch. He continued to see what God wanted him to see. And I know for myself that's something I need to do, change in myself because I don't wait. I think I have a little tiny glimpse of reality of what God's saying, and then I, I then just go with it. And so it's really not one of those situations where I'm understanding fully what God wants. I'm assuming I know what he wants. So anyways, so let's go ahead and jump on in to chapter seven, verse one. After this, I saw four angels standing at the four corners of the earth, holding back the four winds of the earth to prevent any wind from blowing on the land or on the sea or on any tree. Then I saw another angel coming up from the east, having the seal of the living God. He called out in a loud voice to the four angels who had been given power to harm the land and sea. Do not harm the land or the sea or the trees until we put a seal on the foreheads of the servants of God. Then I heard the number of those who were sealed, 144,000 from all the tribes of Israel. So I think it's interesting that God's like, hey, hold on. We got to protect my beloved. So it goes on. From the tribe of Judah, 12,000 were sealed. From the tribe of Reuben, 12,000. From the tribe of Gad, 12,000. From the, from the tribe of Asher, 12,000. From the tribe of Nephtali, 12,000. From the tribe of Manasseh, 12,000. From the tribe of Simeon, 12,000. From the tribe of Levi, 12,000. And from the tribe of Ishkar, 12,000. From the tribe of Zebulun, 12,000. From the tribe of Joseph, another 12,000. And finally, from the tribe of Benjamin, 12,000. After this, I looked. See, he could have, if it was me, I'd be like, oh, yeah, and I possibly would have turned my head. Like, hey, here's the 144,000 Americans. Here's your friends. And I could have been off, like, high-fiving my friends. But John, thankfully, kept watching. After this, I looked, and before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So that's all of us. That's all of the Gentiles, the non-Jews. It's a multitude that's so great you can't even see it. You can't even count it. It's innumerable. It's impossible to count. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders asked me, These in white robes, who are they? And where do they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. 
They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. What a wonderful thought. After going through the tribulation, they'll never be harmed, never want again. And we have from Charles Spurgeon in his sermon from 1914. It seems as though a dash of wonderment thrilled through his soul and a flame of admiration burst from his tongue when John exclaims, After this I beheld, and he had already seen much. His attention was fixed. His thoughts were strained. All of a sudden, then a fresh scene breaks on his view and he betrays his surprise. At what, you say? Evidently, he was astonished that the vision was not yet complete. Ah, brothers and sisters, in order to understand the deep things of God, we need to be patient in our contemplation. Had John turned away his eyes, relaxed his study, or withdrawn his gaze from the marvelous panorama, he would not have seen the better part of his vision. As a Jew, when he was when he had seen the twelve tribes pass before him, he might have been tempted to say, It is enough. There is a remnant according to the election of grace in Israel. Lord, your servant is content. I would now open my eyes again to earth and forget these mysteries. This is what many have done practically when they have been looking at a gospel truth. They have not been desirous to see it all, though glad enough to see some part of the truth of God which seemed to suit their prejudice. They have taken their eyes away from the excellent glory before they have seen the whole of the truth, as though they were afraid of discovering too much, as though they were always glad not to learn anything beyond, for fear it would not square, for fear it would not square with what they had learned before. John, however, being patient and taught of God, continued to look, and when the august assembly of the 144,000 had passed before him, he saw, saw a far greater multitude of the Gentiles, Gentile race, and he heard from them a loud song that he had heard from the chosen multitude before. And they said, Salvation to God, who sits on, upon the throne and unto the Lamb. Be steadfast then, you searchers into the truths of God. Look long, look earnest. Ask the Lord to let you see as much as you may. Then that petition, being granted, comfort yourselves with the reflection what you know now, you shall know hereafter. after. So with that, I think it's just a good time to close with prayer. Lord, thank you for this and thank you for your word. Thank you for the insights of your saints and your elect who've come before us. And I just pray, Lord, that I would understand what it's like to be patient, to look fully and pray for full understanding so that I would be a patient, mature Christian and a son of yours that understands what you want me to understand, not what, not what I want to understand. Father, be with us as we go about our day today. And may we bring you honor and glory and serve you well. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for joining me at Just a Guy and His Journey Back to God. I hope you have a great day.